Just give us one hour, and we'll help you change the way you think about happiness. Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress Kamen is a fresh talk radio approach promoting happiness from the inside out. Happiness is a choice, and happiness can be cultivated and harvested. Each week, Lisa shines her light on well-being and global human flourishing by presenting a diverse and proactive collection of the greatest thinkers and doers who have devoted their lives to creating a better world in which to live. As a filmmaker, positive psychology coach, author, professor, and change agent specializing in the field of happiness, Lisa Cybers Kamen is widely recognized as an expert in the field. On the show, she also focuses on military families and service personnel returning with PTSD, traumatic brain injury, and other post-deployment civilian life reintegration issues. So, let's spend some time getting to the heart of the matter on Harvesting Happiness on toginet.com. And now, here's your host, Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening wherever you are. Welcome to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio, where we explore the very serious business of happiness, sustainable well-being, and human flourishing. We are not talking about the annoying yellow smiley face. No, 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 not around here. We are talking about something much deeper and critical to the success of humanity. Authentic happiness is not selfish, egotistical, or narcissistic. In fact, it is essential in order for humankind to thrive. Sustainable happiness is important because it not only elevates our own well-being locally, but also contributes to collective global flourishing. The achievement of a happy life is not only positively good for us, it is constructively good for those around us. In short, happiness matters. Happiness comes from the heart, and this show is all about the heart. Today we're talking about getting things done and getting things done in all areas of our life. It's impossible to uh, parse out the personal and professional sides of our lives when it talk when we talk about getting things done because it is an integral and integrated process. My guest today is David Allen who is an author, consultant, international lecturer and founder as well as chairman of the David Allen Company. He is widely recognized as the leading authority on personal and organizational productivity. His 30 years of pioneering research, coaching, and education of some of the world's highest performing professionals, corporations, and institutions has earned him Forbes recognition as one of the top five executive coaches in the United States. David Allen is the author of three books, the international bestseller, Getting Things Done, The Art of Stress-Free Productivity, Ready for Anything, and Making It All Work, Winning at the Game of Work and Business of Life. Getting Things Done has a perennial business, has been a perennial business bestseller since 2001 and is now published in 28 languages. Welcome, David. Thank you so much for being with here, being with us here today. I can't even speak. It's Monday, and I'm my tongue is tied. <laughs> Happy to be here, Lisa. Thanks. Well, this is, this is a huge and broad topic. The uh, the art of stress free productivity. Uh, this is something that all of us aspire to 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 uh, be productive and to do it gracefully. But the question is, oh my God, how do we do this? 
I think we all naturally do it if you could get rid of the distractions and the static and the things that exhaust you. So it's not really about getting things done, believe it or not. The big secret here is that it's really about being appropriately engaged with all the aspects of your life so that some part of you is not held hostage by some commitment unfulfilled or something falling through a crack or something, basically not keeping your agreement with yourself about whatever that thing is. So it's really about just being present. And when you're present, I don't think you can help but get things done because that seems to be our natural state uh, when we're clear. I love what you say about being present because so much of the work that we do in our programming over on this side is about mindfulness and creating a very heightened sense of attention as well as intention to whatever it is that we do. And when you apply it to productivity, I can see where it dovetails perfectly. It makes perfect sense. Sure. Well, you know, you and I, how many things are you not getting done right now talking to me? And how many things am I not getting done talking to you? So that's either good news or bad news. That's either the good news is, hey, this is exactly what you and I need to be doing now, given our destiny on the planet and what we're all about and how we're wired. Or, oh, my God, what are all the other things I could or might should be doing instead of talking to you? So half empty, half full. You can really only consciously put your attention on one thing at a time. So the, the, the real issue here or the real challenge or opportunity is make sure it's the right thing. Now, that that said, what does the right thing mean? Well, that's a you know we can talk a long time about about that and getting to that point, but I think it's the natural flow of things that happen. I think when I think we're here on the planet to get things done, so I don't think we actually have to work on generating that energy. We just have to work on freeing it up. Mm, beautifully said, and I, I want to debunk the myth of multitaskers get the most things done. Well, you know, there's a yes and no about that, and I've read all the studies too, and, you know, there's a lot of things that they've proven. If you're trying to focus consciously on more than one thing, you'll screw them all up uh, (laughs) because you you, you just can't do that. You can rapidly shift your focus as long as you know the the science or the craft of how to do that. If you look at a martial artist who fights four people at once, they don't fight four people at once. It's one at a time. It's just real quick reshifting the focus so if you if you quote came into my office while i was doing work uh, first of all i wouldn't let you in if you weren't supposed to be there i didn't want somebody to walk in but the fact that you walk in is not actually an interruption it just says hey here's new input let me evaluate that and is that more important than whatever i was just putting my attention on and if it is i'm going to turn around and put my attention on you and by the way what i was whatever i was working on i'm going to toss right back into my in basket so that some part of me has a placeholder for that, so that I don't have to keep my mind going, well, yeah, but but I ought to, but I ought to. I know how to shut that up. So if you shut that up, you can actually rapidly refocus. You can rapidly do a lot of things waiting in a security line at the airport. (laughs) You know, there's, there's nothing wrong with shifting my focus from that, then focusing on this, and then focusing on that. The only problem would be is if I don't have placeholders for what all those things are about. In other words, if I'm engaged in stuff that's not being finished while I'm thinking of it, then there's a part of my psyche that's then going to try to keep holding on to that while I'm trying to focus on something else. And that will kill you. There are two things that come to mind. The first is talking about multitasking, and what I hear you describing is that you have the art of toggling down, that you're able to flip those switches back and forth, going to different uh, subject matters in a short period of time, but they are 
one item at a time. That's the first thing I hear you sharing. The second thing I'm uh, hearing you talk about is this notion of placeholders and how do we create placeholders for these things that we temporarily hit the pause button on? Well, the same way you put a post-it in your kitchen and it says, oh, I need bread, and you write it on the post-it. You've now got a placeholder for that. You don't have to walk, keep walking around, I need to get bread, I need to get bread, I need to get bread. Why? You put a placeholder somewhere that you trust, and it has to be someplace you trust. So you have to trust <laughs> that the next time you actually go to the store, you'll look at the post-it in your kitchen and grab it and say, oh, yeah, I need bread and milk and yada, yada, yada. That's all it is. It's, it's just being able to externalize some sort of trigger for these things that are incomplete. We make some commitment, I need bread. And if you don't go buy the bread that very second, then some part of you, if you don't want your psyche to hang on to it, then parks a, some sort of a reminder. And it will then, the psyche can then let go. It, can, it doesn't let go necessarily when you buy the bread. I mean, it, it might, it, it, that certainly would, would do it as well. But you can actually have your psyche let go and not distract you about it as long as you have appropriate placeholders. So that's really all I did was recognize that. It's just most people, they're only, they're only trusted placeholder if even that is their calendar. And that's about 5% of your life. But buy bread and, oh, yeah, I need to talk to my life partner about X and, oh, yeah, I need to go by the bank and pick up and, oh, yeah, I need this, these two things from the hardware store and, oh, yeah, I need to sit down and craft an email to my great aunt. Those are the things, I mean, heavens, <laughs> you know, talk about the complexity of your life. Your, the, your life is a whole lot more complex than just what sits on your calendar. So I just discovered, look, if getting rid of all of those things so that your psyche gets rid of the job of remembering and reminding allows you to walk around in your zone and being present most of the time. I say, why not? Well, and let's break down the, the placeholder to really uh, simple language. We're talking about a master to-do list and then uh, subsets of that to-do list that may address the grocery store versus office supplies. Am I am I hearing you correctly? Sure. Well, a master to do list. I don't think it's any one list. It's it, you know bills to pay. They're in the right they're in the right folder on my desk. So every Friday night or Saturday morning, I sit down and pay my bills. That's that's totally fine. So if you say yeah, generically speaking, yes, there is a most people have by the way from our experience 150 to over 200 next steps on all their commitments of things that they've got running at any point in time in their life and work. So that's a huge amount of stuff. If you want to call that a master list, yes. If you put them all together in one list, that would be a master list. The truth is your calendar reminders need to be on your calendar. You know, Things you need to pick up at the store need to be on the post-it in the kitchen. And, and for the most part, you will need probably a, a several more lists than most people actually manage uh, because most people barely even put – they put some of the emergency things off their mind on a to-do list. But even the to-do list doesn't work very well because most people aren't clear what exactly they need to do about what's on the to-do list. They haven't figured out the next action yet. They've got things like mom and bank and doctor and, you know, right. Well, so, what, yeah, I understand that what you did was you grabbed a placeholder. But that's why there's a big distinction between capturing something as raw data placeholder versus actually then making the executive decisions. Well, what exactly does that mean? What outcome am I committed to? What action step do I need to take? And that's why stage two is to take that stuff you dump out of your head, you know, the, the list you've made, the things you've written down, and then get much more discreet about what exactly those mean to you. Are you going to do something about it? And if so, what exactly is the very next action? And just that simple process sounds simple, but that's a, a fairly challenging behavior for people to, to buy into and to build habitually into their life. But, we man, that'll, that'll change up. your life. 
I'm sorry to interrupt you. We're going to need to go to a break, and I want you to hold that thought because when we come back, I want to talk about um, the, the commitment and agreements that are required to actually be productive because this gets into a whole other area of the psyche, of our subconscious, and our, our, our personal relationships with ourselves and with others as to how and why we do what we say we're going to do or we don't do what we say we're going to do. We're going to go to a break to learn more about David Allen and the amazing work that he does. You can go to www.davidco, and that's D-A-V-I-D-C-O.com. On Twitter, he is at G-T-D. Guy. Here come the tunes. We'll be right back and we will carry on this very productive conversation about getting things done. We know that life is tough and that happiness can and does live along with adversity. We'll be right back to explain how on Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress Kamen on Toginet.com. Like us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and on Twitter at HH Talk Radio. Lisa returns with more of Harvesting Happiness following this short break. Nothing gives happiness like a free gift. Lisa Cypress came and has made her first ebook, Got Happiness Now? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life. Available at no cost to everyone. Unwrap your complimentary copy now by visiting www.harvestinghappinesstalkradio.com. Are you or do you know a returning U.S. military man or woman in need of restoring joy in their lives? Did you know that our nonprofit, Harvesting Happiness for Heroes, offers stigma-free combat trauma and post-deployment reintegration programming? Check us out at www.hh4heroes.org. That's HH, the number four, and heroes.org. Happiness is an inside job. Wear the message on T-shirts, baseball caps, sterling silver designer jewelry, and more. Please visit our online boutique at www.harvestinghappiness.com. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen on Toginet, the show dedicated to promoting happiness because happiness is a choice and happiness can be cultivated and harvested. So let's get back to it. It's Harvesting Happiness on toginet.com. And now back to your host, Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Welcome back. If you're just joining us now, we are talking with David Allen today about getting things done, life and work management. And you might ask yourself, who is David Allen? And I want to share with you that Leadership Magazine has named him one of the top 100 thought leaders. Fast Company has hailed him as one of the world's most influential thinkers in the arena of personal productivity. And Time Magazine labeled his first book, Getting Things Done, as the defining self-help business book of its time. So we are really talking about, with somebody who knows 
about the relationship between productivity and commitment. And this is not an area that most of us would, would connect the dots to. And there is uh, some very sound reasoning to what David posits about this. So let's talk about, you know, we've made our brain dump, we've created placeholders, and now the issue is how do we execute our desires? And that's where commitment, agreements, intention come in. It is. And, you know, commitments are something most people don't realize they have as many commitments as they make. I mean, every commitment is a commitment with yourself. A lot of them include other people, uh, but they're all commitments with yourself. And, you know, early on I discovered, you know, you asked earlier, like, well, the, some of my beginnings with this stuff were really getting attracted to and discovering something that I now refer to as the, the strategic value of clear space. You know, what's it like to be clear? both from a meditative standpoint or spiritual standpoint. In the martial arts, which I got a black belt in many years ago, there's a lot of meditative exercises. And there may be a spiritual component, but there's also a very practical component. You know, When four people jump in a dark alley, you don't want 3,000 emails hanging in the back of your psyche. You, know, you need to be fully <laughs> available to, you know, to access you know, energy and focus and power and attention that, uh, you know, that might be superhuman. Uh, but that's actually possible to do, but it can't be if you're distracted. And one of the things that I discovered as I began to get involved in the more, more professional world, more complexity, was how easy it was for my psyche and my attention to get distracted. And the biggest distraction I discovered was not, not keeping track of and or keeping commitments with myself. And, you know, something I learned in, in the sort of my my travels in the personal growth game out there discovering that, you know, it, one of the common themes in sort of life 101 stuff is, hey, you're going to pay an automatic price if you make an agreement and don't keep it. Uh, automatically, yes. you will you will disintegrate or you will diminish self-trust. And as you know, I mean, as many of your listeners probably know, self-esteem and your self-image is always going to be your greatest limitation. So anything that undermines your, your, your sense of self, your sense of confidence about who you are and what you're capable of is probably something you'd want to get rid of. So I discovered early on uh, you know, in my career that managing your commitments was something that was really, really critical. And it doesn't mean go keep all your commitments, but it does mean keep track of them so that you can <laughs> renegotiate them with yourself. But most people make commitments then forget they made them, but some part of them didn't. Some part of them is still hanging on. And it creates that that agonizingly um, ambient buzz in your life. You know, if you've ever been in a room, Lisa, where, where there was a buzzing noise, you didn't realize it was there until somebody turned it off. Mm -hmm. And that's a lot of what, you know, my methodology actually does. It actually turns off a noise most people aren't, don't even recognize because they're in it so consistently. When we talk about these commitments with ourselves, you know, we say we are going to do thus and so by a, a period of time. What are some of the ways that we can help ourselves to live up to these agreements to, to make it happen? Well, first of all, keep track of them. You know, you, it's, hard to, it's hard to get things done. You can't remember you told yourself to get done. <laughs> so as simple as that sounds, most people have made a whole lot of commitments they've consciously forgotten they made. But they're but they're there. You know, the, the, their their psyche will tend to remind them at three o'clock in the morning about something they should have done last week, you know, which is not exactly the most effective and efficient office or office assistant to have. So obviously, getting things out of your psyche—that's job one—is keeping track of all of these. 
Job two is reviewing them regularly, seeing, making sure that you know what you would need to do to start moving towards some of these things. That is, like, what's the next action on the bank and, or on mom or on the doctor? What's the very next thing I need to do? So keeping track of those so you're not avoiding it by simply not knowing what to do yet. And thirdly, renegotiating those agreements. As I mentioned when we started, look, you and I are doing a, not doing a whole lot of stuff while we're talking to each other right now. But the only reason you and I could be potentially present in this conversation is if some part of us looked at everything else and said, it'll wait. And that's basically a renegotiated agreement. A renegotiated agreement is not a broken one. So Mm. as long as I look at it and say, hmm, not now, or no, there are more important things. See, the problem is the way the psyche works. When most people are thinking about these agreements, they're, they're in some inspired, intelligent state. And by the way, it's the really smart people who realize you're only inspired and intelligent at very random moments in your life. <laughs> the, rest, <laughs> the, rest of the, time, the rest of the time, I'm kind of thick and dumb. So if you want to be really smart, that when you're smart and when you're intelligent, you want to grab placeholders of things that occur to you so that then later on when you're not so smart and you're kind of thick and you can look at it and go, hmm, no, I don't have the energy to do that. I don't have that against all the other things. See, when we're thinking of these things, we're not thinking of all the other stuff to do. And then people overcommit like crazy. They say, oh, I could do that. And then they forget that they told themselves they, could, they want to do that. And then two minutes later, they think of the next thing they tell themselves they want to do. And they just wind up collecting this huge warehouse <laughs> of commitments uh, and not being very conscious or objective about which ones they can and can't do. So first job is get the inventory of everything that you can remember or think about that you've ever told yourself you might need or want to do that might still be current for you at all. And then decide what the next actions are on the things that you're actually going to move on. And then step back and say, look, can I really do all those? Do I really want to be able to do it? If you can't see the whole inventory, you're always going to overcommit. And overcommitting is one of the most common ways to undermine your self-esteem because you'll be breaking commitments with yourself. Oh, my. I can I can attest to that because it's very easy for those of us who are yes people, you know, that, that we like to say yes to life. We like to say yes to new projects. We like the uh, dynamic state of continually creating. We do find ourselves in the pickle when we're when we're extended very, very thin. It's a, it, it can be very complicated, but the beauty of what you're describing is that it's saying, okay, well, you can continue to have this, uh, the placeholder of all the things that you would like to accomplish, but it's a question of showing up for those things in a prioritized fashion so you can cross them off the list and feel good about having um, kept the agreement with yourself. Yes, there's great magic to the list we call someday maybe. <laughs> you don't. But you see, if you if people say, well, look, uh, if you think you have to move on all your good ideas, your good idea machine will shut down because you'll just blow fuses. So you don't want your good idea machine to shut down. All the way wicked coolest things you'll be doing in your life ten years from now are on that someday maybe list. So you want to start seeding that just on the unconscious, but because you're not committing to do it. My only commitment for my someday maybes is to let me review it regularly to see if I'm ready to activate it yet or not. And this can range everything from the bucket list. Hey, someday I'd like to climb Mount Everest or take a balloon ride over Paris or learn Italian or you know, go to Argentina and do the tango. You know, sure, all that. But even the projects where you say, gee, here's all the things I might, would, could you want to do with my kids this summer? And I'm not going to do them all, but let me make, at least make the list, and then I'll make some you know, smarter choices about that. So there is a speed-up by slowing down syndrome, but the, the way you learn that is age. Yeah. 
<laughs> that's so true, you know, and we can't buy that, you know. That's not that's not a credit card purchase. That's a, that comes with mileage. Uh, let's talk for a minute about about emails and social media and all of the yammering that goes out there in the ethers because we're all bombarded. We're bombarded with media and images and communiques from people that we don't even know sometimes. Sure. We'll just go to a cocktail party. It's full of it. Yeah. But the, but the cocktail party doesn't stress you out unless you're a total introvert and you feel like you have to talk to everybody. Then you Then you might be stressed out. But truly, all of that is just a cocktail party. How much do you want to go to a cocktail party? How much do you want to engage in it? I mean, nature is the most uh, most intense, information-rich place in the world. That's why it's so relaxing. So just because you have a lot of input does not mean that it is stressful. The stress part comes when you say, well, I should, would, could, might, want to, ought to do something or decide something about all that stuff coming at me. Ah, that's where you have the issue. So you do have to make some, you know, let's call them adult decisions about, well, how important is Twitter to you or Facebook to you? What, do you, what does that really mean to you? I mean, see, mm-hmm. I, I have, you know, 1.2 million Twitter followers, but I don't feel obligated that I have to be in there to do anything. To me, it's a, it's a party. And so sometimes I want to browse around the party. Sometimes I'm, you know, I'm in, you know, inputting to it, and sometimes I'm not. And I just don't, I don't have any, you know, stress about it. It's fun. It's 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 cool. Yeah, think of all the opportunity out there. Gee, where would life be without email and without all the you know fabulous technology we have? Oh, I love I love your idea of treating this as a party because it does give us the ability to uh, stop by and have a drink with somebody or exchange a, a, a smile and a glance or to completely walk past one another. So it does it just does does change the tempo of how we can perceive uh, what's coming at us in this busy world. So I think this is a very, very good tip uh, for people out there to to get control of what feels like out of control technology. To sure. do it as a and, party. It's the reframe. Yeah. Well, it's understandable. I mean, if you suddenly, the, you know, suddenly you lived in a place where it was partying all the time, you might want to move. <laughs> you know, so, <laughs> you know you, you, I can, as I say, I can resist anything but temptation. So, you know, put in front of me, I'll probably want to party. And that may not be the best thing I need to do given all my other commitments in life. So it is, it is nice to be able to make some more conscious distinctions about what are these things, what exactly do they mean to me. And, you know, a lot of people are, you're, it's, you're, you're right, are dealing with the stress of opportunity out there. The stress of opportunity. This is great. You know, we could spend an hour just talking about that. Well, you know, everybody would lighten up a bunch and move into a certain serenity if they were in a crisis. Because the crisis forces people to focus on outcomes, it forces people to take next action steps, and it forces people to renegotiate all the other agreements in the life call. Nothing is as, as important as getting out of this burning building. Tires and taxes and, and Facebook don't mean anything. That's right, and that's why you get in your zone in a crisis. But I just learned that you can actually do those kind of behaviors and not have a crisis force you to do it, so you can actually walk around in your zone. But, you know, th- th- that's why it's a stress of opportunity. If you're not in a crisis, then all the, all the barbarians at the gate come running through the gate at you. Now you've got tires and taxes, and what are you going to do with the kids for the summer? And, oh, yeah, getting them back to school. And, oh, yeah, what? Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> so you, you've let the opportunity now run back across the gate, you know, and, and the part of you that's, that's not managing those very well, it just feels like an insane party inside your head when you let all those folks in.
We are going to gracefully dance to the break. And when we come back, we are going to come back and talk further about stress opportunity and a couple of tools, additional tools that we can share with our listeners. And then I want to know your story, David Allen, how you came to this world of getting things done. You're listening to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. To learn more about David Allen, please visit davidco.com. On Twitter, he is at g. TD guy and he's got a lot of people over there in a in a virtual party so it might be worth checking him out on Twitter. I'm going over there as well. Here come the tunes. I wanted to make a difference. I wanted to fight. We know that life is tough and that happiness can and does live along with adversity. We'll be right back to explain how on harvesting happiness with Lisa Cypress Cayman on toginet.com. Like us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and on Twitter at HH Talk Radio. Lisa returns with more of Harvesting Happiness following this short break. Like what you hear on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio? Subscribe to us on iTunes and get your weekly dose of joy downloaded free and easily to your computer or portable device. That's Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio on iTunes. likes to win enter our weekly contests at harvesting happiness on facebook where we give away our guests books music film and products each week in addition we also do great harvesting happiness giveaways like free coaching sessions with lisa cypress cayman lisa's books happiness first aid kits h factor where is your heart documentary film happiness is an inside job products including the sterling silver infinity bracelet that benefit harvesting happiness for heroes a nonprofit whose mission is to assist our returning military personnel and their loved ones challenged by combat trauma and other post-deployment reintegration issues join us at harvesting happiness on facebook Nothing gives happiness like a free gift. Lisa Cypress came and has made her first ebook, Got Happiness Now? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life, available at no cost to everyone. Unwrap your complimentary copy now by visiting www.harvestinghappinesstalkradio.com. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress Kamen on Toginet, the show dedicated to promoting happiness because happiness is a choice and happiness can be cultivated and harvested. So let's get back to it. It's Harvesting Happiness on Toginet.com. And now back to your host, Lisa Cypress Kamen. Welcome back. If you are just joining us now, I urge you to download this podcast on iTunes because today I'm here with David Allen and we are talking about getting things done, life and work management. And this is not just about balance, you know, that we often talk about in a perfect world. This is actually managing our productivity. And David is the author of three books, Getting Things Done, uh, Ready for Anything and Making It All Work. And I've given you the abbreviated titles. He is quoted by Leadership Magazine, Fast Company, and Time Magazine, amongst others, as really being one of the top 
100 thought leaders in our country today. Prior to the break, we were talking about the stress opportunity or when we have so many options available to us that it generates this feeling of stress because for many of us, myself included, I have a mantra which David so artfully um, coached me to reconsider that says, I can do that. You know, when something cool comes my way, I'm like, I can do that. And, you know, there is a problem with I can do that because we can't do everything. So, David, help me out here. Let's let's walk through the process of people who believe that they can take on the world and how to help us. <laughs> well, you can you can do anything but not everything. So right. a simple mantra about that. And as I said you know, earlier, you don't want to lose creative ideas and creative options. You know, that's why when, you, when you're going to go buy, you know, if you're going to go fix a really, really super dinner for somebody for Thanksgiving or for the holidays, you don't go to the local you know, 7-Eleven to get all your stuff. You go to a place of huge, stressful opportunities <laughs> called a supermarket. Oh, my God, look at all those things we could get. But you actually go there because you, you know you'll find better choices. So you actually want to give yourself permission to have lots of fabulous choices, but you do then need to make choices. You don't go home with the supermarket. You know, I'm going to choose that, not that. Oh, I'd rather have steak, not chicken. Okay. And then you're just making choices. So you then need to then move into the game of making appropriate choices so that then you're appropriately engaged with all of your possibilities and all of your commitments. But again, that's almost impossible to do if you're trying to do it just in your psyche. Your psyche, your head's for having ideas, not for holding them. So Mm. the whole idea of being able to externalize and objectify possibilities, things that might mean something to you, things that, uh, as well as your specific commitments, getting those out of your head, that is just so job one. I don't know how long I'm going to preach this, Lisa, the rest, I guess the rest of my life. Yeah, I think so. (laughs) Because it's just such a huge habit for people to change. But everybody listening to this at some point has felt stressed and overwhelmed and sat down and made a list and felt better, more focused, and more in control. So everybody knows that. And, and if you just you know, reverse engineered how come that happened, you'd never keep anything in your head the rest of your life. That's why I don't. Like, why, why wait till you're stressed to, to, get, <laughs> to get happy? Why don't you just you know, get happy by, do, by doing what makes you happy, which is basically undoing the things that are pulling you down, which is all those commitments you're keeping internally in your psyche. And therefore, the um, the coachable moment for the mantra of I can do that is I choose to do that if I want to. Yeah. And, Which hey, that's a free. cool thing. Let me grab that. I'm going to stick that on a list of real cool possibilities. And then on a regular basis, you step back and take a look. Should I do that now? No, not yet. Now should I, you know, most of the cool things in my life started on my someday maybe list. They just needed their own time. They, they, they had their own timing. And the someday maybe list is actually good because it allows you to internalize more comfort with these things so that when you actually then go get that car, actually go take that world trip or go do that really cool thing, your nervous system's already comfortable with it. That's how the comfort zone works internally. So even though you're not committing to do anything about it, the fact that you even put it out in front of you as a potential ideal scene, as you know, you know that can be very, very powerful just to how it works on the subconscious without creating any additional stress. And the ideal scene is actually creating a whole scenario or event around where where we choose to be, where we desire to be, to set an intention of how we want to be in a situation, to create a situation, a business, a relationship, an event, and to make it believable and in real time in this moment. And it is a hugely powerful tool. It's it's a uh, it's a vision board with words, really. Yeah, well, and, and, you know, I like to say that the future never happens, but it's a very handy illusion, you know. 
Well, come on. You know, it's the setting a goal or having an ideal scene is not about the future. It's about how it changes perception and performance on your own self-image right now. Mm-hmm. So the fact that I can buy into that I could be that cool person, have that sense of excitement, that sense of relaxation, that sense of intentionality, actually has you actually starting to practice that right now. So you know, you don't you 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 need to get very serious, uh, or let's say sincere, about how powerful creating ideal scenes and visions and goals are. But lighten up a lot about that you can change them in a minute. They're really creating value right now, and you can shift them and change them as you mature. Because as you mature toward whatever goal or vision you have, that vision is likely to change. Because you can only see as well as you are mature and have the you know, perspective right now, but that's going to change, you know, tomorrow. You'll, you'll have more experience, you'll be more, you'll be smarter, you'll be, you know, you'll, you'll have a different perspective. So give yourself permission to constantly keep, constantly keep shifting and enhancing and refining whatever those ideal scenes are. So take them sincerely, but not seriously. And, and I think we should talk about judgment, you know, that when we, when we create these ideal scenes, when we create these commitments with ourselves and we don't live up to them perhaps 100% or in the way we would have hoped, that uh, to not hold ourselves in judgment but to make a course corrective commitment to doing it a different way that helps us achieve the goals. Sure. And, you know, and that's, you know, there, there is a maturation process and there, you can learn to get a lot more comfortable with not, not meeting your own goals and your own commitments and just realizing they're just a tool to stretch you out there and, you know, lighten up uh, about all that. And it is, it, it really is just understanding, wait, let me just use that as a way to enhance my own sense of self and my own focus right now. And also it will allow me to recognize opportunities and make choices that I wouldn't otherwise. So it's not that there, it's not that the, it's not that the future does not have so a great deal of value to being to being able to think about that because we're constantly moving. You can't stop your intentions, by the way. It's just which ones are they? Because <laughs> you're constantly <laughs> intending. You know, you wake up in the morning. As soon as you're conscious, some part of you can't stop but you know putting your energy out toward something, whatever that is. Your choices then. What are your choices? Where are you pointing yourself? You don't need to be one ounce more creative or intelligent than you were born with. The issue is where are you pointing it? So true. And we are compulsive creatures, you know, by, by nature. You know, that, that, that we, we, we couldn't stop ourselves from intending if, if we wanted to, I don't true. believe. Well, that, that would be an intention. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. So you caught me there. Let's talk about, a little bit about your history and how you stepped into your passion, purpose, place, and meaning in life with this work, which is hugely meaningful and helpful to the world. Well, there are a lot of, you know, there are a lot of factors. Basically, I'm, I'm one of the laziest people on the planet. Uh, you know, people said, gee, David, have you always been focused and organized? I go, no, but I've always been quite, uh, quite focused on how much easier can I do whatever it is that I'm doing. So I've always been fascinated by, okay, you know, how much easier can I get across the room? How much easier can I do X, Y, and Z? And I thought everybody thought that way, but I, I guess not. But, I've, you know, that, that's gotten more and more subtle over the years uh, because then I combined that at some point with saying, look, what are the, what are the ways to think? Uh, I, I've always been fascinated by models. Like if I think if I think this way, it produces this result. If I think this way, it produces this result. Without having to go transform myself as a human being or be somebody totally different, if I just approach things in different ways, I produce different results. And I started to explore a lot of those different kind of things. So you know, I, I was 
I've always been fascinated by how the invisible affects the visible, the things you can't see. And, you know, that has a lot to do with models. That's why I, I was a history major in college. I was fascinated by historical trends and belief systems and paradigms and how they affected cultures and how they affected how people thought. And it wasn't that people, you know, were not smart. It was like, hey, they, they, they understood their world through their eyes and through their lens and their paradigm. So I think even before paradigm was a popular word, I was, I was fascinated by, by what that was. So then, of course, the martial arts taught me a lot about sort of clear space and how cool that was. And then I got into the professional world. And, you know, I wound up with 35 professions by the time I was 35. And then your only option is a, being a flake or a consultant. So I hope that I took the positive route. <laughs> I think I will consult with these people. Uh, well, you know, what I like to do is come in and see how much easier can I make whatever it was that people were doing. And once I implemented that, go, well, what's next? Uh, so I discovered they actually called people something and paid the money to do that, called consultants. So I, I you know, hung out my shingle way back, you know, 1981, 82, and started my own little consulting business. And then taking a lot of what I was learning about these models, uh, about, hey, if I approach this email this way or if I approach this project this way with this kind of thinking, what are the decisions I need to make about it? And I had several mentors, one of, one of whom taught me two of the most powerful methods that I still include in my, in my methodology, which is getting stuff out of your head, which I've talked a lot about already, and also what's the next action decision. It's the very next physical, visible action and activity. And I discovered how powerful that was without exception. You sit down with anybody and start to get everything out of their head and have them make that next action decision without fail. You know, and I've worked with hundreds of thousands of people now on the, around the planet. And without fail, when you do that, you will feel more focused and more in control and more relaxed. And so I said, well, that's pretty cool. So I worked and then, you know, refined that model. And, you know, a lot of my – I think I ultimately just am a teacher. You know, people often get motivated when they hear my stuff, but I'm not, I'm not sort of go out and be passionate and, you know, get up in the morning and jack yourself up to go, you know, take over the world. So, no, I, I like to sleep as long as I can. You know, so I'm, a, <laughs> I'm really into – into, okay, just how much more effectively can I get to clear space so that, you know, the, the peaceful, loving part of me, which to me is what life is really all about, is getting, getting to the heart. I think we've mentioned that word if people aren't allergic to that. But to me, that was the prime thing. What, was, what would get in the way of it? And so uh, how can I be in this world but not of it? Was mm. a, a big driver of mine from the very beginning. We are going to go to a break, and when we come back, I would like to carry on the conversation about the the heartfelt aspect of all of this and how you have woven it all together. But something came to mind when uh, I was taking a couple of notes as you were last speaking, that you're a task economist. You know, you like to break it down, like you say, figure out how you can make things easier and, and uh, that's what I'm going to call you <laughs> when I write about the task economist. Yeah, I, I you like know, I'll, I'll take that. Sure. Yeah, it's a, it's very very powerful because uh, there is a simpler way of doing almost everything, and this is what you are crystallizing for people in the amazing work that you do. To learn more about David Allen and his work, you can go to David Co. That's D A V I D C O dot com. On Twitter, he is at G. D guy and there's a huge community over there just waiting for your visit and um, his books once again are getting things done the art of stress-free productivity ready for anything making it all work winning at the game of work and business of life and you are here come the tunes we'll be right back I wanted to make a difference. 
We know that life is tough and that happiness can and does live along with adversity. We'll be right back to explain how on Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress Kamen on toginet.com. Like us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and on Twitter at HH Talk Radio. Lisa returns with more of Harvesting Happiness following this short break. Do you like Lisa's take on happiness, well-being, and human flourishing? Join us this spring as Harvesting Happiness launches online classroom programming where Lisa Cypress-Kamen will offer her workshop series across the globe and from the comfort of wherever you are. Visit HarvestingHappiness.com for more details. Be a part of the grateful good. Grateful Nation brings together patients, families, friends, and staff of Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center to support the quality care and groundbreaking research at the Medical Center. Through new and traditional media, members of Grateful Nation share experiences, thank our caregivers and researchers, participate in sweepstakes, and gather to sponsor and host events and much more. Being grateful inspires others to be grateful as well. Isn't it time we jumpstart some perpetual gratitude? Visit Grateful Nation online to find out more at www.gratefulnation.org. Have a grateful day. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen on Toginet, the show dedicated to promoting happiness because happiness is a choice and happiness can be cultivated and harvested. So let's get back to it. It's Harvesting Happiness on toginet.com. And now back to your host, Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Welcome back for the final segment, I'm sorry to say, with David Allen today. We are talking about getting things done, life and work management. And David has made a gracious offer uh, for our listeners to have a free trial of GTD Connect. So you can go to davidco.com, that's www.davidco.com, and click on Individuals and then GTD connect to your free trial of the GTD connect and tell us a little bit David about what one will find there uh, it's really a, a, a huge library of multimedia different kinds of things little short things free articles set up guides for you know how to take some of the tools that people probably have and, and to organize them based on this methodology lots of stuff there it's a, it's a nice quick surf you should surf around and, and, and check it out there's so, also a free newsletter we have by the way which if nothing else that's has essays of mine and tips and tricks that come out every three or four weeks. Wonderful. This is very generous. Thank you for offering this. So you can find that at davidco.com. And we're talking about the the matters of the heart, how the heart and our desire and our wanderlust plays into this whole concept of managing ourselves and getting things done. So, David, let's talk about the the heart center and why why it matters in this process. Well, I think for people particularly who have a, a professional or maybe even a business context, heart, sometimes people might be a little allergic to that idea or, or the spirit or whatever people might want to call it. Uh, I like to, to also use the term your intuition. There's mm-hmm. a, a still small voice that's, you know, that, that's, that's loving, it's gracious, it's neutral. Uh, it allows us to make all kinds of mistakes but still sits there and taps its fingers and says, okay, well, I told you so, but uh, now how about this? 
and try this out. And so, you know, I've discovered that there is a still small voice, so that's one of the reasons to get to clarity. That is one of the reasons to shut up all the noise and all the distractions is so that you can step back, relax, and listen. And listen to whom? And listen to that part of you that I think is the, the higher self or the wisdom part of you, the part of you that, that taps into that. It's the part of you that, that, that created all this stuff to begin with, uh, with your intentional energy. Uh, and, you know, it's just here to learn and experience and express, but you want to make sure that you're learning and expressing and experiencing and not, you know, not uh, keep on reinventing the wheel in terms of, you know, things you could improve. So, you know, I think meditative exercises, any kind of contemplation or reflection, you know, one of the things we know, even in the business world, one of the biggest lacks right now is people building in reflective space, being able to step back and just contemplate, you know, in a larger thing. And most people get so wrapped around the axle and tied up in it, then they just, you know, take if they even take off on the weekend, they're just toast and don't have any energy to do that kind of reflection. So reflection is not just zone out, think of nothing. Uh, and I'm also not talking about, you know, staring at your navel while walking around the Rose Garden, though that, that's, there's nothing wrong with that either. I'm talking about, though, building in a regular kind of step back and reflexive, let me drop the world back uh, at least a little bit so that I can see things from a higher perspective. So, you know, altitude and attitude, as you know, are, you know, very closely tied together. But it's hard to get that altitude if you're being weighed down by all of these things that, that people uh, are, you know, have a big improvement opportunity to, to learn how to manage. Because as I say, the universe is always on. It doesn't <laughs> stop. You know, when I'm, <laughs> and so when That's I meditate true. or contemplate or do my own spiritual practices, it's not about shutting things up. It's about shutting down the noisier parts so that I can listen to the more refined parts because it's always on. And I think learning to tap that wisdom and tap that place comes from the heart, your intuition, whatever that, that part of you is. And I think we all have access to it. Everybody's tasted that. Everybody knows, I think, you know, everybody certainly has access to it. Uh, but I think we can learn to practice uh, those kind of practices that uh, allow it to, to come forward a lot more. And in that place of tuning into the intuition or the, or the higher self or this greater wisdom, it also bolsters our self-esteem and our ability to uh, be self-confident and reliant upon what it is that we think. Because we're also told from many messages, you know, you can't always believe everything that you think. And sure. that is true. But on the other hand, when we allow ourselves to come into this reflective, contemplative space and quiet things down, that voice becomes much stronger and uh, self-confident. And you need to be ready to capture what happens there. You know, that's why it's always good to have a pen and paper with you when you're doing contemplative, reflective, you know, meditative kind of things. Because as you, first of all, as you start to unpeel the onion, as you start to kind of relax and let the world, you know, kind of let go of it, uh, invariably you go, oh, I forgot to call Bill. Oh, that's right. We need bread. Oh, that's right. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, very likely as you start to unpeel that onion, you know, it's a real good handy technique to make sure you've got always got something to write things down with. I mean, whenever I'm anywhere longer than 10 or 15 minutes and there's a flat surface, you'll see a, a notepad and a pen. I've got one right now in my hotel room out right in front of me with my pen in hand because who knows? when you know the, the muse may strike you know, or you know, or or anything so always having the ability to be able to then uh grab potential value that may happen there now a lot of that value is simply by resting and being able to rejuvenate and tap into the heart energy which is quite invigorating and inspiring 
So you don't necessarily want to use that just for the purpose of then producing good ideas that you will go do in the world, but you can't, you won't be able to help them <laughs> happen automatically. Well, yes, because you're clearing by 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 allowing for the calm, you're opening up these pathways for the information that's been bottled up that you haven't been able to access to get out. So well, I yeah, I agree mu- with you. The music's not in the radio. Yeah, that's <laughs> true. And another method that I use, I'm a big hiker, and I, uh, I'm, it's a form of moving meditation. I practice, you know, seated meditation as well, but I take my iPhone with me, and I'll just shoot off ideas into the little message thingy that's in there, you know, and, and, and transcribe it later. So at least I capture that moment. It's not lost, because what am I going to do? Stop in the middle of a mountain and start taking notes. It's not always convenient, or when we're in traffic, let's say. But you can you can capture these little micro notes to yourself that can can go into a placeholder into the file somewhere to be um, circled back to at a later date. Mm-hmm. Good idea. Yeah, because I, I I I really dislike it when my pearls of wisdom when I feel like I've got that flash of genius and I don't capture it because I know I'll never find it again. I'll find something else, but that one won't that moment will never return. Yeah, the problem is is that when you're when when you're inspired and intelligent. There's a part of you that thinks you're going to be that inspired and that intelligent all the time, <laughs> not realizing that, that, that that's a rare moment. Grab the fruits of it right then and, and, and don't lose it later on. And, and also when you're inspired and intelligent, time, time disappears. So that's why you, don't, you, you think you will always remember it because there is no time when you're in that space. Yeah, but this is the other thing that happens as we get older. You know that the, the short-term memory is not always as good as it once was. So you well, mean- come on. You know, it, it it's not senility; it's sophistication. Right? <laughs> no, no, it's true. The older you get, the more your good ideas will not happen where you're going to implement that idea. You know, you'd be buying bread at the store, thinking something to bring up in the project meeting, and you'd be in the project meeting remembering you need bread. So, you know, as your life gets more complicated or complex and multifarious out there, then that just necessitates better and better behaviors to be able to capture these potentially random and potentially valuable things as they come by. I love what you just said about uh, the, the creating better behaviors because I think that that is the crux of this whole thing is it, it is a, self, a, a self-discipline, a process of disciplining yourself to understand how your own mind works with these thoughts, you know, that, that flow in and out with the tasks that need to happen that are varying degrees from, um, you know, urgent, emergent, you know, uh, five alarm fire to, well, someday maybe, you know, your, your, your someday maybe list that you talk of, um, it, it, it is complicated. And that is what, what you teach. You teach us how to break it down. So well, we, I don't, I, I, I'm a little allergic to the word discipline. It sounds too hard to me. You know, to me, it's more direction because I haven't mentioned anything. They're not behaviors everybody's already doing. Everybody knows how to write things yeah. down. Everybody knows how to decide next actions. Everybody knows how to look at a list and go that, not that. These are not, this is not rocket science or some new language or foreign or technology. This is really just very, very simple stuff. It's really not discipline. It's direction. I need to direct my mind to, to ask myself these questions about this email. I then need to direct where I park this appropriately. And it's actually not hard work. It's really about uh, different directing yourself. So direction, it doesn't take, it doesn't, you, don't, you don't sweat to just turn, you know, turn the left or turn right. Uh, but you do need to make a decision about it. So I understand the discipline idea. You do need to get uh, more sincere about 
just randomly, you know, wandering through life is not going to handle these things. You do need to understand what these models are, and that's really what I've spent the last 30 years figuring out and now communicating and educating people about these fairly simple models, uh, but that we're not born doing them. I mean, you and I didn't hop out of the womb going, all right, what are we trying to accomplish, Mom, and what's the next step? Yours or mine? You know, these, <laughs> these are, are learned behaviors over time. And, and, you know, I would love to talk about one thing with the brain, and then we're, we're, we're almost out of time, which I cannot believe. I, I, I was recently doing a little research on um, change blindness in the brain. And, you know, what I was reading is that the brain is basically quite lazy and, and doesn't enjoy doing extra work. And that's why the brain makes these instantaneous assumptions uh, based upon what it thinks it sees that are not really real. And it often doesn't include the details. And what I he hear in the work that you are teaching and, and, and the directions that you're giving people, it is really about dialing into this very place that we're talking about. Yep, absolutely. And it's, it, you don't have to go far. All you have to do is start paying attention to what has your attention. Yeah. Because there's an inverse relationship between on your mind and getting done. So you don't have to go any further than, wait a minute, what's popped into your head besides what Lisa and I have been talking about while you've been listening to me and Lisa? And that will tell you the first place to go. Write that down. The reason it's on your mind is because some, you haven't made some decision yet about it that you tell yourself you ought to, or you haven't parked the results into some trusted place, so your psyche is still trying to bother you about it. So I just discovered the algorithm about how to do that, and it's it's, it's very it's it's subtle, but it's just mechanical. It's beautiful, and I want to thank you, David Allen, for being with me today. To learn more about David Allen and his amazing work, go to www.davidco.com. On Twitter, he is at G. TD, the initials GTD guy. And we are out of time here. Here are a few thoughts before we part. Happiness is not a destination. It cannot be bought, sold, or traded. Happiness will never invite you to the party. Happiness simply comes down to a choice to show up each and every day in the world with passion, purpose, place and meaning. Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. This is Lisa Cypress-Kamen and David Allen wishing you kind thoughts, kinder words, and the kindest of actions. Until next time, remember, happiness is an inside job. Happiness is your inside job. And I want to remind our listeners to uh, pay attention to your placeholders, allow yourself some reflective space and, and contemplative time, and get to that someday maybe list. You'd be surprised how quickly you will circle back to it. David, anything else in the last 10 seconds that we can send our listeners off into the wild to wander with? Uh, no, just be easy on yourself. Ah. I love that. Be easy on yourself. And the universe is always on. That, is a, that was a, a great soundbite from you today. From David Allen, the universe is always on. So we'll see you next week, and thanks for tuning in to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. Nobody got no time anyway. Somehow. Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio with Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Join us every Wednesday morning live at 10 to 11 Central Time here on TogiNet Radio. Then harvest your own happiness anytime from the comfort of wherever you are with free downloadable podcasts.